All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Carter Thompson, your host, as always. Thanks for tuning in. I always appreciate it. The NFL Draft, 2022 NFL Draft, has done seven rounds complete, 262, I believe, new draft picks for the teams, and then a bunch more undrafted free agents as well. So we'll go through a quick kind of recap, kind of see what some of my uh, favorite picks and some of the, the teams that I thought did a really nice job. Now remember, these thoughts and or grades that you read from NFL, NFL uh, insiders and stuff like that mean absolutely nothing. You have no idea what these players are going to do. One of these things that it takes like maybe two to three years, I, I'm pretty sure back in maybe what was it 2012 when the Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson, they got an F because of the Russell Wilson draft pick. I'm sure the Packers also back in 2005 got an F when they drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round as well. So I'm not going to do grades. That's I'm just going to I'm just going to do what I think uh or which teams I think had a nice draft and kind of improved their teams going into next season and also for future seasons as well. I think there's some teams that set themselves up just beyond this year as well. So we'll, we'll go through that. NBA playoffs is rolling along. We're into round 2, games 2 finishing up for a couple teams tonight, so we'll discuss that. This is an exciting second round of the playoffs. Some really good matchups all the way around, so we'll get to that as well on this episode. All right, so let's dive in. NFL draft recap. We'll start with the Green Bay Packers, all seven rounds. We'll go through their first uh, five rounds, who they selected. Round one, pick 22. If you remember last podcast episode, I was able to do a first round reaction as the second round was going on, and I believe as I was ending that episode, the Packers were picking Christian Watson at the beginning of the second round, so we'll discuss that pick as well right here. But Packers' first uh, six selections, seven selections in this draft, round one, pick 22, linebacker Quay Walker out of Georgia. Then with the 28th pick in the first round, they took defensive tackle out of Georgia, Devontae Wyatt. And then in the second round, right at the beginning of the second round, they took wide receiver Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. Third round, they took offensive lineman Sean Ryan out of UCLA. Fourth round, they took Romeo Dubes. Dubs? I'm going to have to figure out how to say his name right. I think it's Romeo Dubs. The wide receiver out of Nevada. All, and then about eight picks later in round four, they took offensive lineman Zach Tom out of Wake Forest. And then at the end of round five, last pick in round five, they took edge rusher defensive lineman Kingsley Enagbar. I believe is how it's pronounced. Defensive lineman out of South Carolina to try and shore up some of that depth at the edge position behind Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. I like, and then the Packers had four seventh round picks as well. A couple guys on there that can hopefully help out this special teams unit. They got a hybrid safety linebacker that should be really good. They got an immovable defensive lineman from Florida, I believe to maybe be on that punt protection as well. We saw what happened in the playoffs this past year. So they got four guys in the seventh round as well to make 11 picks in this 2022 NFL draft. I like the direction that the Packers went with this. They didn't reach for a wide receiver in the first round, even though they did try to trade back up into the first round to get Christian Watson, maybe at pick 32, I believe, with the Vikings. But instead, they were able to get him at pick 34. 
They weren't able to get guys like Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, even Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks. All those guys were gone in the first 18 picks. Packers couldn't find a trade-up partner that they were comfortable with trading a bunch of those picks for. They did have to pay a little bit to get Christian Watson, but I think that just shows how much they liked him at the beginning of the second round as well. But I like the direction that the Packers went with this. Like I said, not reaching for a first-round receiver and kind of creating positions of weakness on this defense usually into just strengths now. And they're going to lean on a potential top-five defense in the NFL. You've got two guys now on the defensive line. This is Their defensive line is potentially stacked now of Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt. These two guys are just monsters. Devontae Wyatt is 24 years old too. It's not like he's going to need two years to get up to speed. This guy is ready to play right now. So adding him right there. And then Quay Walker, this guy is extremely athletic. They think they found basically another Devondre Campbell at the middle linebacker spot, something they maybe looked at two years ago when they lost to the Buccaneers in terms of Devin White and Levante David for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at that middle linebacker spot. These guys should be able to clean up anything that gets past that front four or front five, whatever the Packers decide to do on the defensive side. But I like this now what the Packers have done at the defensive line spot. Give Kenny Clark some help. Shore up that run defense that has been one of the worst in the NFL for the past couple of years now. And it looks like to me they're going to be leaning on this defense. I mean, they addressed the wide receiver position in this draft as well. No doubt about it. Three wide receivers drafted. I believe at least another one or two added in undrafted free agency as well. But they got two guys in the top four rounds and both extremely fast. Christian Watson, the the second round pick out of North Dakota State. This guy, potentially a first rounder, got him early in the second round. I believe he ran a 4-3-6. He's got incredibly long legs in the speed. There's a lot of comparison to, to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but I think he can do a lot more than MVS for the Packers and, and could be potentially Aaron Rodgers' number one wide receiver this season considering what the rest of the room looks like and then they got Romeo Dubs out of Nevada this is another tall just blow or once he once he hits that second gear he's going to be able to get behind the defense and that's what the Packers were looking for you remember what Matt LaFleur said at the owners meeting maybe a month or two ago now saying that they need to add speed to the wide receiver room and it looks like they did that in this draft but back to the defense they're going to have to lean on this defense and this reminds me a lot of the 2010 season, while they had more weapons on that 2010 team, the defense is what was the strength of the Green Bay Packers. It was Aaron Rodgers' third year starting. The defense was, I believe, top five in the NFL, and it kind of carried them with the run game in the postseason until Aaron Rodgers had a phenomenal Super Bowl in Super Bowl 45. I think what the Packers are looking to do, hey, we have a top, we maybe have the best white or quarterback in the NFL right now, if we have a top five defense, the best quarterback in the NFL with serviceable weapons, which they have, and a dynamic duo at running back, this could clearly be a strategy to winning in the postseason. Now they just got to go do it. So I like what the Packers did in that, and then just shoring up a couple of weaknesses on the defense, turning them into strengths. The run defense should be much, much better with the athleticism that these two Georgia Bulldogs bring to the Packers defense in Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt is extremely fast. I mentioned comparing him with Jordan Davis, his teammate on that defensive front at Georgia. 
Jordan Davis is like 6'6", 340, 360 pounds, and he ran a 4840. Devontae Wyatt is like 6'2", 310 pounds, and ran a 47540 or something like that. He's extremely athletic. So this Packers defense now has all the pieces, maybe, maybe a couple of depth veterans that could be added to fill some depth on this defense, but they have the starters capable of being a top five, a top three, even potentially the number one defense in the NFL this year. I like the way that the Packers went about doing that. And like I said, they added speed to the wide receiver room. This is how they move on from Devontae Adams, the Devontae Adams trade. It's something that the Chiefs, and I'll get to them in a little bit, have to do as well. You're not going to be able to replace Devontae Adams with one guy. So what they're going to do, and I think this is what Matt LaFleur is really good at, and Aaron Rodgers I think is going to buy in. He was on the Pat McAfee show during the draft. And by buy-in to this form of the offense is not force-feeding one guy where Devontae Adams has 120 catches. Maybe it's Christian Watson has 70 catches and maybe a guy like Randall Cobb has 40 catches and Sammy Watkins has 40 catches. Adds up Amari Rogers has 30 catches, has more than 35 catches or something like that. Alan Lazard has 40 to 50 catches. You spread these around so that team, and while Devontae Adams was able to beat some double teams, teams are able to scheme towards that or plan their defense towards that. Now, with the best quarterback in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers, him spreading the ball around, it's going to be much more difficult, I think, for defenses to plan for something like this, where... Christian Watson could be the leading wide receiver game one. Sammy Watkins is the leading wide receiver game two. You've got different wide receivers leading each game in receptions, yards, and it's hard for teams to pin down who Aaron Rodgers is trying to force it to. And then on top of that, that's not even the strength of the offense. The strength of the offense can come from Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Lead on, lean on these two guys as a one-two punch with hopefully a healthier offensive line, David Bakhtiari, hopefully near 100% at the start of the season. They drafted three offensive linemen in this draft, two with their first five picks in Sean Ryan and Zach Tom. Maybe those guys can compete for that right guard spot. Royce Newman also compete there. We'll see what they do at the right tackle spot as well until Elton Jenkins comes back. Hopefully Elton Jenkins comes back healthy by midseason. Then you have your full-strength offensive line, and then you have the one-two punch of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I like what the Packers are doing, leaning on the defense and the run game, and then you just have the best quarterback in the NFL picking up the pieces, picking up the third downs when you need them, hitting the big-time throws when you need them. Aaron Rodgers can obviously hit all the throws. And that's what you kind of lean on. You don't ask him to throw for 400 yards, which they haven't. I don't think this is a year where Aaron Rodgers is MVP Aaron Rodgers, but where he leads the offense as it needs to be led. He doesn't have to carry it. Where it was Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers kind of carrying the Packers offense. Now he can just lead it. So I like how the Packers are kind of trying to replace 
the production of Devontae Adams, not just with one guy. They're not going out. They might be in the discussion for a Debo Samuel, or they might have been in the discussion for a Tyreek Hill. I don't know. But this way, similar to what the Chiefs are trying to do, maybe not lean on the run game as much as the pack. They don't have the dynamic one-two punch of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in their backfield, but their new wide receiver core is going to be spread out as well. But they also have Travis Kelsey to lead that wide receiver room. So I like what the Packers did with their 11 picks in the 2020 NFL draft. I like that the defense now should be ready to go. Should be, I think, a top five potential defense this year with Joe Barry now in his second season as defensive coordinator. I'm excited to watch this Packers defense, weirdly. (laughs) Weirdly almost more excited to watch this Packers defense than the Packers offense and see what the Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur can do with all of the all of this talent on this defense I think I'm also excited to see how Aaron Rodgers does with a rookie wide receiver who he's going to have to lean on a little bit more than he has in the past we've known Aaron Rodgers to have some not difficulties just some trust issues with rookie wide receivers maybe because they're not in the spot he's obviously he's not going to have the kind of chemistry that he had with Devontae or when he had Jordy or James Jones or Greg Jennings or or Randall Cobb in his prime. He still has Randall Cobb he can lean on if he can stay healthy. But I'm very excited to watch this Packers defense as well. All right, some other teams whose drafts on the the initial outlook, they look good from a first look here. We'll, We'll get to a couple of them here. Detroit Lions, I liked how they went about this draft. This draft... With, with their second first-round pick also, really showed me that this team is, is looking to plan for not just the now, because they know, I don't, I don't maybe they don't know, but I don't think they're going to be competing for the playoffs this year. They'll be an improved team, I think, but one of the moves they made, I think, sets up next year as well if they can get one of the top quarterback prospects. So round one, second overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson. Best player in the draft, I thought. A lot of people thought as well. Defensive end out of Michigan they get him with the second overall pick this guy I think can just be the foundational piece for Detroit for the next 10 plus years in terms of not maybe I'm not I'm not going to compare him to J.J. Watt in terms of that he's going to be a three-time defensive player of the year but this guy he's local kid and I just think he can be the leader of this team similar to what J.J. Watt is anywhere he goes the vocal leader Bringing it then on the field, that energy, nonstop motor. I think Aiden Hutchinson can kind of be that. Not necessarily the three-time defensive player of the year that J.J. Watt is first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know that about Aiden Hutchinson. But I think he can bring that kind of intensity to the Lions, which is absolutely fits perfectly with their head coach, Dan Campbell. I love that he was able to drop to the second overall pick to them. And then with their other first-round pick, they traded up from 32 to 12 to take wide receiver Jamison Williams out of Alabama, tore his ACL in the national championship game this past year. So he's not going to be ready to go by week one, I don't believe. But he'll be able to get there maybe near the end of the season. Not necessarily going to help the the Lions win this year, I think. But when they take a quarterback next year, they have two first-round picks again next year. They can trade up into the top three top five, maybe the number one overall pick if they want to, to take a guy like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud next year, he'll be ready for year two to help whatever rookie quarterback comes walking in 
so that he just has some weapons to work with in Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift out of the backfield. All of a sudden, the Lions rebuild is off and running if they get that quarterback that they want next year. So I like what the Lions did with those first two picks. Short up some more edge rushing with Josh Paschal, outside linebacker out of Kentucky. Then in the third round, took a safety in Kirby Joseph. And then in the fifth round, they took a tight end in James Mitchell. One thing that I think needs to be shorn up, short up for the Lions a little bit more is that secondary. Remember, we were talking about the corner that they took just a couple of years ago who has been missing a lot of time for them. The number three overall pick, Jeff Okuda. Almost forgot his name there. Jeff Okuda. They took him with the third overall pick just a couple of years ago. He has not been on the field at all for them. So they need some help at that cornerback position. But if he's healthy, their defense isn't looking too it, – it, it's looking improved. Let's not say too bad. It still might not be the best because they were one of the worst defenses last year. But I'm saying I like what, what Detroit has done. They are what – they're, what they're taking the approach, and I like this. If there's no surefire quarterback, which we saw this year, there really wasn't, you build the rest of your roster – you get key prospects at some of these key positions. Edge rusher, offensive line is already really good in Detroit. Wide receiver, you got some weapons on offense now. Then when that quarterback becomes available, boom, you jump on it and you go get it. That's what Detroit has put themselves in the position to do, and I really like that, and they did that in this draft. They didn't reach for a quarterback. They didn't take a quarterback. They're going to stick with Jared Goff because they have to with his contract. Really sets them up nicely, I think, next year if they can get one of those top guys. Another team I liked, the New York Jets. It helps. A lot of people are going to like what the Jets did because they got three first-round picks. That obviously is going to help. They got fourth overall pick, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, the corner out of Cincinnati. Then with the 10th overall pick, they took Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Then they traded back up into the first round again, got defensive end Jermaine Johnson, out of Florida State. This is a guy I thought the Packers were going to target at pick 22. Ended up falling to the Jets at pick 26. They traded back up just to make sure they got him. These are three really good players. Probably the number one corner in this class. Potentially the number one wide receiver in this class. And maybe one of the three best edge rushers in this class as well. They got them all in the first three rounds. Then they got the number one running back in this class in the second round. In Brees Hall. Then in the third round, they add a tight end in Jeremy Ruckert. Fourth round, they add an offensive lineman in Max Mitchell. That could be the only thing you can knock on the Jets is they didn't improve their offensive line as much. What could improve their offensive line is if they get Makai Becton, last year's first round pick, back into shape, back on the field, and he performs to his draft selection potential that he was selected last year. I think he was maybe the 10th overall pick. Last year, this guy is a mammoth. But I like what the Jets did here. They gave some help to Zach Wilson with Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, and Jeremy Rucker. Max Mitchell is a serviceable offensive lineman. Going to need a little time to get up to speed, but I think he can get there if they need him to, if they can't get Makai Becton ready for this season. But this, this all I said this, I believe, on my last podcast episode. This all looks great for the Jets. The Jets always seem like one of those teams that – quotations around this win the draft right you can win the draft every year and still be picking in the top five almost every other year 
got to see if Zach Wilson is the guy for them, if Robert Sala is the head coach for them. I think Robert Sala is a really good head coach. All depends on if Zach Wilson can be the guy for them at quarterback. He's got some weapons now in Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore from last year, Brees Hall. They added C.J. Uzama, the tight end from the Bengals, bring in Jeremy Ruckert as well. We'll see what they can do. I'm excited to watch the Jets a little bit, actually, and see if Zach Wilson can take a step forward, take a big step. I'm not expecting them to necessarily be in playoff contention, but if they can get six, seven wins, I think that's a big step, and it looks like Zach Wilson could be the potential quarterback there. But I like what the New York Jets did in this draft. It helps when you have three first-round picks, of course. Baltimore Ravens, another one of those teams that always just, one of those teams that just drafts really well. They let the board come to them. Example, round one, pick 14. They take safety Kyle Hamilton, potentially a top three player in this draft. Fell a little bit because of his testing numbers, but still, this is a a position of need for them in the secondary. We saw how decimated that got last year with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey going down. Kyle Hamilton now can play center field with those two guys coming back, and I think he's going to be able to ball with those two guys coming back and the way that John Harbaugh and the Ravens are going to be able to use him. Excellent pick. Then they got a second first-round pick when they traded away wide receiver Marquise Brown. They used it to take center Tyler Linderbaum. This is the guy that I thought they should have took at pick 14. They're able to get him at the end of the first round to replace their starting center. I forget his name. But he left in for, Is it Bradley Bozeman? That sounds like the guy. I think Bradley Bozeman was their center last year. He left in free agency. Boom, replace him with a ready-to-go day-one starter, Tyler Lindebaum. Second round then, they got edge rusher David Ajobo. This guy tore his Achilles, unfortunately, in his pro day this past year. So he's not going to be ready to go this year. But this guy would have been a first-round pick if he didn't tear his, tear his Achilles. And he has the potential to be one of the best edge rushers, edge rushers in this draft. And the Ravens are able to get him in the second round. What a steal there. Hopefully he's able to recover sooner. Maybe he can help them down the stretch this season if they're making a playoff run. That would be an excellent addition near the end of the season. Then they take defensive tackle Travis Jones out of UConn. This is a guy I was a huge fan of, that if the Packers didn't take Devontae Wyatt in the first round, Travis Jones would have been my guy that either they could take in the first round or if they would have kept both of their second-round picks, Travis Jones would have been an absolute get for the Packers in the second round. They get him late in the third round. Remember, I thought the Ravens should take Jordan Davis in with their first round pick he goes a pick before them at pick 13 they have pick 14 so they get maybe the second best maybe probably the third best defensive tackle in this draft all the way down in the third round to pair him with Calais Campbell excellent find there then they had six sixth fourth round picks six fourth round picks goodness that was a mouthful with the first one they took offensive lineman Daniel Falele Offensive tackle out of Minnesota. This guy is like 6'9", 370 pounds. People aren't sure if he can move as well, but the Ravens did a similar thing with this with Orlando Brown Jr., who they took in the fourth round maybe five, six years ago. Now he's playing left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs on a big-time deal, so they're going to take another chance with Falele, see if he can play opposite of their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley. They needed some help along that offensive line. They got two potentially starters in Tyler Linderbaum and Daniel Falele. Then they also got another tight end in Charlie Kohler in the fourth round and another corner in the fourth round to shore up that depth in cornerback Jalen Armour Davis 
out of Alabama. I like what the Ravens did with this draft. Kansas City Chiefs as well. They took a corner, Trent McDuffie, and edged George Karloftis in the first round. Really two key positions at premium spots that the Chiefs went with in the first round. I really like these two picks for them to shore up that defense. Like 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 with the Packers, I said, have a top defense, and then you have a top two or three quarterback in the NFL who can carry you the rest of the way. Then they went with Sky Moore in the second round, kind of a a lesser version of Tyreek Hill, very speedy, very quick. Not the Tyreek Hill, but this guy is going to be really good with Patrick Mahomes and the rest of those weapons. Now he's got a, a full wide receiver room. Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, Nicole Hardman still on the team, Marquez Valdez-Gantling to be your deep threat, take the top off as well. I like their wide receiver room now in Kansas City. And then, of course, you can't forget Travis Kelsey, going to be your number one. This is... They're going to be able to spread the ball around like the Packers, which I think Andy Reid, Matt LaFleur, these guys are going to want to do. They're going to want to spread the ball around. So I like what the Chiefs did there with their offense. Also get safety Brian Cook out of Cincinnati. Add Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chanel at the beginning of the third round, at the end of the third round, excuse me. Absolute steal there. He could have been an early second round pick. Help that Chiefs defense, like I said, be one of the top defenses and then just have your quarterback take you the rest of the way. Don't 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 make your quarterback have to put up 45 points a game. Don't make your quarterback have to put up 35 points a game. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers should be able to score 21 to like 28 points a game. And if your defense holds the opposing team to 14 to 20, you're going to win a lot of ball games then. I think that's what the Chiefs and Packers are looking for, and I like the way they're going with it. Seattle Seahawks, I also thought, had a nice rebuilding start with their draft. Kind of did something similar with the Detroit Lions in terms they've got two potential starting offensive tackles in this draft. They also grabbed a really good running back. They've always had problems. That running back is very that running back room is really full. But a lot of injuries in there. Hopefully they drafted Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Hopefully he can stabilize it. And if if some of those guys go down, he'll stabilize it, be the number one running back there. This is another team that next year they'll also have two first-round picks because of the Russell Wilson trade. They could potentially go get one of those top guys, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. They kept Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, so they got the weapons as well. This is one of those teams that is now just waiting for their quarterback once it becomes available, they're not going to push it, even though I thought they should push it in this draft, which is the way some of the, the quarterbacks were falling. But they didn't push it. They're waiting for next year, potentially, for the guy that they like. I like what they did. Eagles probably come away with the biggest prize in two ways in this draft. A.J. Brown, we mentioned, they traded for him. Also drafted Jordan Davis, possibly the biggest player in this draft. They got him in the first round. And then maybe potentially the biggest steal Nakobe Dean, Jordan Davis's teammate out of Georgia, the linebacker, he fell to them in the third round. I believe he had a peck injury, which is something that teams kind of dropped him on their board for. Eagles need a middle linebacker. Their run defense, one of the worst last year in the NFL, could potentially be a strength for them this year with Jordan Davis next to Fletcher Cox. And now you got Nakobe Dean. Hopefully he's healthy and ready to go to start the season. All the top quarterbacks were falling in this draft. Only one in the first round, Kenny Pickett to the Steelers at pick 20. 
I liked that fit there. But then the next quarterback didn't come until the third round, and it was Desmond Ritter going to the Atlanta Falcons. This is a guy that I thought would sneak into the first round to the Titans. Instead, this is what the Titans ended up doing. They traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles round one. They take wide receiver Traylon Burks with that pick from A.J. Brown. Round two, they take cornerback Roger McCreary. Round three, an offensive lineman out of Ohio State. Then also in round three, they take Malik Willis, which I think was an excellent pickup for them late in the third round. Ryan Tannehill has an easy out in his contract for the team next year. If Malik Willis is ready to go next year, they might exercise that, so then they can improve the team in all other areas in terms of weapons, in terms of defense, making sure the offensive line is ready to go with Derrick Henry if he's still at full strength. I like this pick with Malik Willis. Then Ryan Tannehill said something interesting the other day. It's not his job to mentor incoming rookie quarterback Malik Willis. He said, I don't see it as my job to mentor him. And this was interesting because I agree with him, first off. It's not his job. And this doesn't mean he's going to be a bad teammate about it. He's not going to ignore him when they're in the quarterback room and they're having quarterback meetings. He's not going to say, hey, sit in the back, don't talk to me. He's just not going to groom him to be his replacement. Ryan Tannehill still wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Why would he groom? It's, I mean, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers even. These guys didn't like it when their so-called replacements were on the team. I mean, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers didn't have the best relationship when the two were there. I'm not saying it was a toxic one. Tom Brady had Jimmy Garoppolo traded to San Francisco, the complete other side of the country. Aaron Rodgers wasn't psyched, wanted to leave Green Bay when they drafted Jordan Love. Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to be the guy that grooms Malik Willis. So I don't disagree with what he said. I was surprised that he came out and straight said it like that. <laughs> that surprised me. But it was interesting that, that that was the news. I don't think many people took it as him as being a bad teammate. Maybe some did. But he's right. He doesn't have to mentor him. But we'll see if this becomes a thing in Tennessee this year where they continuously ask if Ryan Tannehill struggles. He talked about how deep it took. Uh, he went to a dark place, he said after that playoff loss to the Bengals with his three interceptions. So if he struggles and Malik Willis is there, I mean, does Ryan Tannehill get benched? I doubt it. They're a winning team with him at quarterback since he's been there. But really interesting spot for Malik Willis to land. Makes a ton of sense if they're ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill next year. We'll see. But it's just funny. I mean, I mean, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers never came out and said like, hey, I'm not going to mentor this guy, or it's not my job to do that. I wonder how people would react if Aaron Rodgers said it. You know, the bad teammate kind of uh, narrative that gets surrounded around Aaron Rodgers a lot. That definitely, I mean, unwarranted too, it kind of comes out, you know. Tom Brady, who knows how that would be. It'll be interesting, but that is... The 2022 NFL Draft, I loved it. Watched all three days. Probably didn't need to watch the third day, but I, I couldn't take my eyes off it, of course. So a lot of fun, and I can't wait for the 2022 NFL season to get underway. All right, NBA playoffs, round two underway. 
Game two, I believe, the Heat and the 76ers, that game two just went final, so that means Suns and Mavericks are currently going on for their game two. We'll start with the but we'll start with the games from yesterday. The game twos from yesterday. Bucks and Celtics, they're tied up at one apiece. Both teams have kind of dominated a game each. The Bucks kind of controlled game one, Giannis, triple double, 25, 26 points, like 15 rebounds, 12 assists. Really just controlled that game with his playmaking. Excellent. And then game two, the Boston Celtics. Wow. 23s. 23 pointers made. The Bucks only made three. So they won that game by, I believe, 23 points or something like that. So now we go to a game three in Milwaukee. Milwaukee takes home court advantage. Still no Chris Middleton for the Bucks, but it's now looking at Marcus Smart not available for the Boston Celtics. Reigning Defensive Player of the Year this past season. Wasn't able to go for Game 2. We'll see what his availability looks like for Game 3. The Bucks aren't counting on Chris Middleton being back for this entire playoff series, it looks like. Bucks hang on to home court advantage now, going back to Milwaukee. Can they hang on to it, or is this going to go seven games? I mean, Giannis is showing right now why he's the reigning Finals MVP, two-time MVP, and he's Giannis is now the best player in the NBA, in the world. It's, it's, it seems like it's become clear. He might not win the MVP this year, but when it comes down to the playoffs, he's missing his second-best player. Sure, the Bucks had a poor shooting game, too. And the, Bucks, and the Celtics, don't get me wrong, have done an excellent job on Giannis to make him less efficient as he usually is in this series, but he's still scoring 25, 28 points a game. Now the Bucks also have to knock down threes from these other guys, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's had a nice start to this series, but these guys got it, Brooke Lopez. These guys got to knock down threes. Giannis can score 30 every night, and I'm about to say this with, with the Dallas Mavericks as well. But with no Chris Middleton, he's going to need these other guys. A couple of these other guys to get in double digits. Drew Holiday's been pulling his weight. The other guys did great in game one. Going to have to knock down some threes for the Bucks. I mean, this is. I think this the Bucks can win this in six games if they hang on to home court advantage through games three and four. If they go up 3-1, I think the Bucks then they probably lose game five and they can take this in six games. But this is a all of these second-round playoffs could go seven games and it's so exciting this buck Celtics series is really fun the Celtics one of the top defenses in the NBA they've got guys like Grant Williams Al Horford Jalen Brown Jason Tatum all taking their shot at Giannis trying their best and Al Horford Grant Williams been doing a nice job we'll see if Giannis and his playmaking which has taken a massive step and by playmaking I'm saying kicking it out to the open guy trusting other guys to hit threes bringing up the ball, finding it, getting the ball into the right spot, finding the mismatches, taking advantage of his own mismatches. That's what playmaking, I mean, is on another level now for Giannis. We'll see, without Chris Middleton, if they can uh, hang on to this home court advantage that they have a really, really fun series. I can't, I'm, love all of these second-round series in the NBA right now. Warriors-Grizzlies, they're tied up at one apiece as well. This is an insanely intense physical series two games in the series so far two ejections already Draymond Green ejected game one Dylan Brooks ejected game two for a very in my opinion questionable foul that he committed on Gary Payton the third in that game two right in the first quarter now Gary Payton 
He's out now with a fractured elbow, probably for a month with this injury. Was it a real, little retaliation just to show, hey, we're not going to be pushed around by Draymond Green from Dylan Brooks? Maybe, but I thought it was kind of inexcusable. He had a wide open dunk. He's in midair, and you push him from behind. There's, there's no way you're going to block this ball. I don't know. I did not like the play from Dylan Brooks at all. This is an insane. This is a very intense physical series. I didn't like that play from Dylan Brooks, though. I mean, this I could see this series going seven games as well. I told you all of these game, all of these series could go seven. My question is, will the physicality tone down just a little bit in this series? Otherwise, you're going to have a guy ejected every game. I like physical series in the playoffs. I don't like when guys get injured with questionable. I mean, Steve Kerr called it a dirty play from Dylan Brooks. I'm not sure if it was a dirty play, but it was definitely unwarranted, unnecessary, in my opinion. So that's what I mean in terms of the physicality toning down a little bit. I don't care if they're bumping in the paint as long as you you don't push a guy while he's midair on a wide-open layup. I didn't like that at all from Dylan Brooks. So we'll see. This is a really fun series. John Morant also, 47 points in Game 2. Wow. This is going to be a really fun series down the stretch. Miami Heat, like I just said, that game just went final for Game 2. They go up 2-0 on the 76ers. No Joel Embiid for Games 1 and 2. I haven't mentioned that yet. He's missed Games 1 and 2 now with a mild concussion, I believe, and an orbital fracture that he suffered at the end of that Toronto Raptors game, which was questionable because it looked like he came out for the end of the game. Doc Rivers put him back in, and that's when he suffered this injury. I mean, this was going to be tough, in my opinion, with Embiid for the Philadelphia 76ers, and it might be too late if he returns for games three and four or four. Not guaranteed that he comes back for game three, but it looks like it's it's trending that way right now. Hopefully he can get back for those, but it was going to be tough for them even if he was available for games one and two with how well-balanced, very well-balanced, this Miami Heat team is with Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry. They got, got Duncan Robinson hitting threes. They got guys all over the court that are contributing to this really good Miami Heat team. That's why they're the number one seed in the East. No questions there. But the other reason that it's going to be really tough is James Harden has not been playing like the James Harden that we know. I don't know if he's out of shape. I don't know what's going on with his shooting slump or whatever. He's playing like the third or maybe even the fourth best player on his team right now behind Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, who's been showing up really nicely, and Tobias Harris even. They brought in James Harden to be a 1A, 1B to Joel Embiid, and he's playing like player number four right now. I don't even know if he broke 20 points in either of these first two games against the Miami Heat. They didn't necessarily need him against the Toronto Raptors. Joel Embiid was dominating, but they need him right now with no Joel Embiid, and they're not getting him. So it's really interesting. It's going to be a really tough series for them. We'll see if Joel Embiid can come back and maybe bring some life back to this team, maybe tie it up 2-2 with the home court switching now to Philadelphia, but we'll see. This was going to be tough either way, but with James Harden playing the way that he has been, doesn't look likely for the Philadelphia 76ers. Heat cruising through the first two games. And then lastly, Suns-Mavericks. Game two going on right now, I believe. Suns are up 1-0 in the series. Luka Doncic, 45 points in game one, but the Suns, it just felt like controlled that game. Luka needs 
like I said for Giannis, he needs the others to step up if they have a chance against the best team in the NBA all throughout the season, regular season, postseason. They were they were challenged in round one, but that was with Devin Booker injured. He's back now playing. I believe he just scored 23 points in game one. I mean, Luka just had 45 in game one that I said. He can easily get 35-40 a night, but he needs these other guys. Since he doesn't have a number two star, Giannis has another all-star on the team when Chris Middleton is out, Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday's been stepping up, but you, you need... When Giannis is being less efficient because of the Celtics' really good defense, other guys have to knock down threes, more than three three-pointers. For Luka, he doesn't have a second all-star on this team, so he needs multiple guys just to get into double digits as well with him. Jalen Brunson had a down game one. Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. Maxi Kleber is, is the only other guy that has been able to knock down shots consistently right now. Reggie Bullock needs to hit more shots con- consistently. Finney Smith as well. If these guys, I think, I just named five guys right here. I, I think for the Celtics, if another guy doesn't get into 20 points, you need four of them, four of these five guys to be into double digits. Now, if Luka has 30, Brunson has 22 or something like that, maybe then just you need Kleber and Dinwiddie to be in double digits. But if you, you need at least three to four of these guys to be in double digits for the Mavericks to stand a chance against the Suns. I see this one, though, as Suns in six games. But like I said, all of these second-round matchups potentially could go seven games, and I love it. I'm excited. I think my predictions before the playoffs started, I had it as Bucks and 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals, still a possibility, and then I had it as Warriors-Suns in the Western Conference Finals, a lot of fun watching these NBA playoffs right now. All I would not be surprised if all seven of or all four of these series went to seven games. So very exciting to watch. All right, final thought then here on this episode of the final final podcast. NHL playoffs are here. As much as I've been excited talking about the NBA playoffs, hockey playoffs are potentially the most exciting of all of them between football, basketball, baseball. You can throw in potentially soccer if you want. I don't know. But hockey playoffs are so intense and so much fun. It's insane. I mean, we've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, back-to-back reigning champs, looking to become, looking to complete the three-peat. That hasn't been done since the 1980s, 1980 to 1983, when the New York Islanders four-peated. They just tied up their first-round series with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that series is one to one. They lost game one, but that's all right. It, it looks like they'll be able to to bounce back against the Maple Leafs. Can Tampa Bay three peat? That's something to watch. That's very exciting. I mean, we already had a heart stopping three overtime game, three OT game between the Penguins and the Rangers. Incredible. That was just last night. You get one of those every night in the NHL. It's it's amazing. So the NHL playoffs are here. I'm excited to see how that all unfolds i don't get to watch as much hockey i don't know if it's on youtube tv which i'm watching it's not on as as much but i'd love uh to at least see the highlights from these insane games as well so the nhl playoffs underway and then my final final thought on this episode of the final final podcast nfl international game schedule has been released three games in london we're getting our first ever game in Germany, and we're also getting a Mexico City game 
this year. You remember we tried the infamous Rams Chiefs in Mexico City, but it, it ended up, I believe, being in Los Angeles because the field wasn't prepared. But that was that insane Monday night game where it was 54-51 Rams over the Chiefs, and I think Patrick Mahomes threw like five touchdowns and Jared Goff threw like six, or maybe that's backwards. But we're getting a Mexico City game. So our three London games, we get Giants at Packers in London. This is The Packers are the last team to go overseas. Now that we're in that 17-game season, the Packers have an extra home game. So they're not going to be losing any of that revenue in Lambeau because they'll still have eight home games. They get that extra ninth one that's now going to be in London. So they'll be finally playing their first overseas game in London this year. We get the Saints at the Vikings in London as well. Jaguars at Broncos is our third London game. The first ever game in Germany, Seahawks at Buccaneers. So Tom Brady playing in Germany. That one should be a lot of fun to watch. And then our Mexico City game will be an NFC West divisional matchup between the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. A lot of intriguing matchups for sure in our international schedule. The full schedule will be is going to be released in about a week, I think. So next Thursday, May 12th, is when it's expected to be released. We'll get to watch and we'll get to see all of the big-time matchups that we'll have this upcoming season. I'm interested to see kind of the primetime matchups now that we've had a huge shuffle of these big-time broadcasters with Joe Buck, Troy Aikman going to ESPN. I believe Al Michaels now is on Thursday Night Football with Amazon. And now it's who's with Chris Collinsworth on NBC. Oh, Mike Tirico. Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth now on NBC. I'm excited to see. I'm, I'm wondering what they're going to do with the Monday night games. They've been kind of waiting for a primetime broadcast team. And now they got possibly the best in the business in Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. So I'm excited to see the primetime matchups that we are going to get this year. All right. That is all I have for you on this episode of the final, final podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Next episode, we'll continue with the NBA playoffs. I'm going to, I think I'm going to start to count down who I think maybe like my top 16 teams or who the, the, the top 20 teams that I think can make the playoffs in the NFL. Or maybe I'll just do an entire power rankings and just give you like four teams at a time. I'll decide what I'm going to do with that, but I got to do something in terms of a power rankings for the NFL leading up to the season. But all right, that's all I have for you on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with me. Stay safe out there. And as always, you are listening to The Final Final.